you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I would love for you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6. We began this sermon on this one verse last week, and we were only able to get through half of the title of the sermon, as you see on the screen, The Trouble of False Doctrine which took up the bulk of our time thinking about that in this context and thinking about the application of the things that we learned in our day. But the second part of it that we hope to get to this morning is the brand marks of Christ. So the trouble of false doctrine and the brand marks of Christ. And you'll see where I get that title. I'm not, I'm not a great title maker. For sermons, but if you read with me in Galatians 6 and verse 17, which is our verse for today, at the end of his letter, he says, From now on, let no one calls me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this privilege come together as a local church and to read your word, to pray your word back to you as we ask things according to your will, as we pray back to you those desires and longings and praises that you have planted in our hearts, as we sing your word, to have the lyrical content of all of our singing to be drawn directly from your holy word. So that we are able to sing praises and to sing biblical truth to one another in this room week after week. We thank you for that privilege. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word and studying it together. And we pray that your word would be central here and now in our hearts. God, we are stretched in all directions many burdens in this room, many many challenges that we face in our lives. And we just pray that you would rivet our attention upon you and your word here in this moment, that everything else could fade away. And we pray that you would take your truth and you would illuminate it before our eyes. God, we pray you would open our eyes, open our ears, open and soften our hearts. God, we pray that you would do in all of our hearts what we most need. And God, I pray and we ask you to feed us and nourish us, O God, as we look to you by faith and open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So at the end of this wonderful letter that we have been learning together, this solidification in our hearts of the great historical doctrine of salvation or justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is one of the books, if you want to know where to take people to think about, well, how do you get saved and How are you accepted in the sight of God? You can go to the book of Galatians every time. 
And you can walk them through and help them to see that by the works of the law, no flesh, no person will be justified in the sight of God. But that what we need fundamentally is to hear and understand that although in and of ourselves we are ruined, God has acted in amazing grace, sending the Son, the Son going to the cross of Calvary, As a substitutionary sacrifice for those ruined sinners. So that everyone that calls upon his name. Everyone who believes and trusts in the Savior. In Christ and what he accomplished in his perfectly obedient life. In his death as a substitute on the cross. In his resurrection from the grave and ascension into heaven. If we trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We'll be saved and justified and made righteous in Christ alone. Beautiful, beautiful. But one of the difficulties and one of the great tragedies of every Christian generation is that not only do we hear and believe the true gospel, thanks be to God, but we also are bombarded by false doctrine. Everywhere. Every generation has to stand in the gap, as it were, to stand up and faithfully proclaim the truth and accompany that faithful proclamation of the truth with a standing up against false doctrines. The Apostle Paul, in writing the whole book of Galatians, writes for that very purpose. He writes this letter, this epistle, so that these Christians in these local churches, these Gentile churches scattered throughout the region of Galatia would again hear the true gospel and again hear the dangers of false doctrines. Now, you all know by now the very specific false doctrine that was being preached and propagated among these churches historically was the doctrine or this false gospel of legalism. Basically, and more specifically, it was legalistic Judaism. And the message is this. You can be accepted and you can make yourself righteous in the sight of God and therefore acceptable to God by your observance of the law that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses. If you'll do that, you will make yourself acceptable. That was what they were preaching. And Paul is absolutely blown away. He says in chapter 1, I am astonished, verse 6, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And are turning to another gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort The gospel want to distort the truth. And so when we come to the end of the letter in verse 17 and he comes to this final two or three phrases, he says, from now on, let no one calls me trouble. And so what we did last week was we went back and thought about, well, what kind of trouble was he enduring? What what trouble is he talking about? And so we went back. And we noticed a few things, and I'll quickly run through them. Paul bore this trouble because of the false doctrine. This was a doctrinal controversy 
among the churches of Galatia. And it was absolutely taxing to the soul and the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul. These people that had once heard and believed the true gospel were entertaining now this idea of legalism and specifically legalistic Judaism as a means of self-justification before God. And so he says, for example... In 2 Corinthians 11, talking about the kinds of burdens that he carried on his shoulders and in his heart every day that he lived and ministered, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He was absolutely burdened that Satan and demon spirits And false brothers and false apostles and false doctrines would not get a grip and trouble any of these local churches. And yet he had that burden he carried with him, he says. And then we looked at the internal evidence of this within the letter that... This doctrinal controversy among these churches that Paul the Apostle was personally instrumental in founding and planting had taken a great toll on him. And you can go back on our website if you want to listen to that message there. But the first thing that we said and pointed out about this is that one of the things that he was troubled about was the corruption of the truth and the spread of truth being hindered through the corruption of that truth. So the false doctrine produced this corruption of the truth And then the spread of the truth to the present and future generations was a great concern and a trouble to this man's heart. And we talked about how that would impact any pastor who truly cares for the flock. Truth, listen, is there is, regardless of what you hear at university level or popular opinion, there is objective, eternal truth. And Paul knows this. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is objective, eternal truth. And when that's corrupted among a people group that call themselves Christians, then it impedes the spread of the truth to that present generation. And it also impedes it to future generations as well. And so you can have dark, dark times where the light of the gospel seems to be just a flicker. Like, say, for example, just prior to the Protestant Reformation. When the uh, Pope was actually selling through others these indulgences. Basically, he could sign a get-out-of-hell-free card. And if you'll buy it, your sins are forgiven. That's the kind of darkness that was happening before the light of the Protestant Reformation. That's 500 years ago, by the way. And it's every generation, listen, has to, has to, has to pick up the mantle and stand in the gap for truth. Every generation. The second thing was that he was troubled that he may have labored over them for nothing. As he preached and taught among them, he says in Galatians 3, 1, O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
And then, at the, and then in chapter 4, Galatians 4 and verse 11, he says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. And so that was part of the burden. That was part of the anxiety of his heart and the trouble of his heart was simply that he had invested time and energy and prayer and preaching and teaching among these people. <laughs> he had uh, cared for them like a, a mother or a father would care for their child. And now they were turning to and entertaining this false gospel. And he knew how devastating that would be. And it hurt him that he thought, man, I spent so much time and effort and prayer and sweat and tears preaching to you. And now this. So that was part of his trouble, no doubt. He says in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. See how he calls them my little children. And I use that illustration. If you're a parent, how heartbreaking is it to train and teach only to watch them walk away from it? That hurts. That's part of the trouble that he was talking about when he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. And the third thing is that Paul knew and understood that this spreading corruption of false doctrine has a personal and practical effect. You see, like we're learning in our core seminar, discipleship seminar on Sunday mornings, Doctrine is for life, or doctrine is for living. It's not academics. It's not an intellectual exercise of Bible study. You study prayerfully, rigorously, systematically biblical doctrines so that you can live the Christian life. So that you can have joy, abundance. So that you can have peace and you can have true spiritual worship. The Christian life is not lived apart from doctrinal truth. But directly connected to it. And I can give you an example. People, there's a lot of people today that are worshiping a Jesus that is not the real Jesus. Because they go to great lengths to make sure they do not carefully define this Jesus according to his own self-revelation in the Word of God. And so they make it up. And if we just keep shouting Jesus over and over again, we're worshiping. Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe you're actually worshiping a Jesus that you created in your own mind. But does not actually exist. And so doctrine is for living, doctrine is for worship, doctrine is for life, it's for joy, it's for your joy. And so, when he gets to the end of his letter, after he has carefully pointed out the dangers and the devastating, massive, negative effect that this false gospel would have upon them, and after he's, especially in chapters 3 and 4, defends and defines very carefully for us that we are justified and made righteous in the sight of God, not on the basis of our personal performance, but on the basis of the performance of Christ who was crucified for us in our place 
And therefore, when we believe upon him, we are justified and made righteous and acceptable in the sight of God. But he doesn't leave us hanging there. Chapters 5 and 6, he gives us the way that that transformed life then lives. Because now that your mind has been changed and your worldview has been changed and your heart has been changed. And now you have new godly and godward affections and desires and passions in your life. Guess what? Your life now empowered by the Holy Spirit who indwells you looks different than it did before. But it's not legalism. It's not because you're trying to say, well, here's my list. And I don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Ah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. That's not the way to do it. That'll lead you to nothing but fear and slavery. But freedom is in Christ. Freedom is in the power of the Holy Spirit who gives you new desires and then gives you the ability to live out those desires. He, he, he teaches about that in chapters 5 and 6. And then he gets to the end of it. And I believe, as I shared with you last week, that Paul feels as if he has successfully put the final nail in the coffin for legalistic Judaism with this letter. He gets down to the end and he's, he's nailing it shut. As far as he's concerned, legalistic Judaism should now be dead. And he is praying and he's hopeful that when they hear this letter and they carefully read through and prayerfully consider the truths that he is teaching, that these churches will then react by considering the legalistic Judaism to be dead and buried, never to rise again. And so he says, Verse 17, from now on, (laughs) don't trouble me with this. Don't let me, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. This is directly intended for the Judaizers who are preaching the false gospel, the false doctrine. But indirectly, we get the greatest benefit, I think, as Christians, when we consider what the trouble was, as we did, and we consider how we can stand as the apostle did, not passively just letting things go for the sake of so-called unity, but standing up and lovingly and strongly and with deep conviction, standing up against false doctrines. Because we know what trouble it will bring. So he gets to the end and he says, don't trouble me with this taxing and grieving burden. If they respond positively to this letter then it doesn't really matter that false doctrine is being preached if the people within the local churches reject it. See what he's saying? Beloved, listen. False doctrine will always be preached. Always. Till Jesus comes, there will be false doctrines. The problem and the burden that Paul is feeling and that we feel who care about these things is the problem happens when Christians entertain these doctrines and then begin to preach and teach them as Christian truth. That's what's so burdensome and so grieving. There will always be false doctrines. But you and I are called as a local church and as individual disciples to study the Word of God so carefully, so prayerfully, so systematically that you and I would be able to smell out the various shades of gray Before they ever get close to black. And root them out. You're in Galatians. If you would turn over very practically. To Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Just real quick I want to read this. 
as he's talking about discipleship and the ministry of a local church, which is discipleship, the ministry of a local church is not to entertain people that want to come in here. The ministry of a local church, according to the Bible, is to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples until Jesus comes. That's your job. That's your marching orders. Look at what he says. He says in chapter 4, beginning there in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then if we skip down, he says in verse 11 that he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? I'm glad you asked, he tells us, for building up the body of Christ. And what does that look like? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. And part of the the effect in verse 14 is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of what? Of doctrine. Of teaching, by the way, if you don't know what that word means. The word doctrine is another word for teaching. A body of teaching. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful text. That's what we're here for this morning. Partly is for that. But so many people today have been deluded with false doctrine. Okay, I spent too much time on that already. Second thing. Let's talk for a minute about the brand marks of Christ in verse 17. Let's go back. The brand marks of Christ. Why do I call it that? He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The word here occurs only one other time in biblical Greek, even though it is a translation The Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 1 verse 11, they use that same Greek term here. But you don't need to go back and look at it because it doesn't help us much with understanding this text. However, it is used in the ancient world to refer to the brand that masters would sometimes put on their slaves to show ownership. And it was also used for religious tattoos that were worn by some people who would practice a certain religion. They would have these markings, these brand marks. Now, some scholars believe that these marks that Paul is talking about is some kind of a mark on his body. We know it has to do with his body because he says, I bear on my Body. That is, that is a word in the Greek that refers to your physical body. He says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And so that leads some scholars to believe that this was a very deliberate mark that he put on his body to show his allegiance to Christ. Most interpreters, however, including myself, believe that these marks he's referring to are the marks of his persecution. For being a faithful follower of Christ. 
suffering for the Lord Jesus and for the propagation of the true gospel, he received great persecution on behalf of Christ and with Christ and for the glory of Christ. And these men that were preaching this false gospel, they also had marks. It was the mark of circumcision. And they would point to that. If you oh, you haven't been circumcised, well, then you're just, you can't be justified. Outward markings they bragged about. Look, if you will, up there in verse 11 again. Chapter 6, verse 11 of Galatians. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now listen to what he says. It is those who want to make a good showing in the what? In the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be what? Persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those, look how hypocritical they are. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So this whole final section is a final revelation and exposure of these troublemakers. What is their agenda? To get you circumcised. And to get you under the law, which is what that represents, as a means of justification or as a means of you earning your acceptance with God through your works, performance of the law. They want to, That's their agenda. But they do that partially because they're cowards. They don't want to be persecuted because it seems as if everywhere these Christians go preaching grace in Christ and faith alone, they're persecuted. I don't want to go through that. And they were motivated because they wanted to see how many people that they could get to join them in their misery. And when we get to verse 17, it, it reads right out of that kind of thought and right out of that kind of context. Don't trouble me anymore. I've got some marks too. What marks? Not the mark of circumcision, which he did have, but the marks of Jesus. The marks of one who was persecuted for faithfully following and preaching Christ. Now we have to remember, beloved, that it was the legalistic Jews in the apostles' day and in Jesus' day who rejected Jesus and plotted to have him killed. It was the same kind of men that plotted to have Jesus crucified that were propagating this false gospel among the Gentile churches of Galatia. And so when we think about this group of people, it was men like this that persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ And the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, preaching the good news of the grace of God. The good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says there in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He writes in Galatians chapter 4, if you'll just turn back in verse 29, Galatians 4, 29, talking about this analogy between 
the Old Testament characters of Isaac, the son of the promise, and Ishmael, who was representative in that typology as the efforts of the flesh, which, if you remember, makes up a bulk of what he talks about in the book of Galatians. But he says, for example, in chapter 4, verse 29, But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So there's in the book of Galatians evidence for this interpretation. Look at Galatians 5, 10 to 12. Galatians 5, 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And so you can see, His struggle with these men, verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Just cut themselves off. (laughs) He's pretty frustrated with these guys. And so he says throughout the letter, he's pointing to this difference. They boast about what they do in their outward performance. They're all about making public appearances and having people to like them and having public displays of how good they are. And over against that is this person who is believing and trusting in Christ alone, who is day by day, year by year, persecuted severely for taking that position and preaching the message of the gospel. And so let me say a couple things in closing. Number one, on the basis of what we're seeing here and throughout Scripture, the reality of persecution is simply a part of the call to Christ and the Christian life. The reality of persecution is simply a part of the call to Christ and the Christian life. So if you're seeking to avoid persecution, you will be moving away from the biblical vision of what it is to be a Christian. (laughs) Self-preservation is not the Christian's main concern. The glory of Christ is. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus talking and teaching. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount there. Beginning in verse 10 to 12. You know the words. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These men were preaching a false gospel. And seeking to avoid persecution. Paul says I boast in the cross of Christ Bring the persecution on. I stand with Christ. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. He continues. Blessed are you when others revile you. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Listen, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Persecution is a part of the call to Christ and the Christian life. In the book of Acts, 
we see that there are many ways of persecution, by the way, beloved. There's verbal slander and there are all sorts of ways in which persecution comes to the Christian church and to the individual Christian. But the Apostle Paul had sort of the full package. He was verbally slandered and he was violently physically persecuted. If you look at the book of Acts chapter 9... This is the way that Paul received the call to Christ in the Christian life. He knew from the very beginning that the call to Christ and the Christian life would be one of suffering well for the glory of God. He knew that it would be suffering for the gospel's sake. Acts chapter 9, Ananias, God's telling Ananias, you need to go down to Paul. And Ananias doesn't want to go. He says, I heard that this guy, he persecutes the church. He Drags people off and tries to imprison them. And God says to him, this is Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, that is Ananias, go for he is that Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He knew in the call and the Christian life and ministry would be one that would be accompanied by persecution. At Lystra in Acts 14, you're there in the book of Acts. At Lystra, which by the way was in the region of Galatia, Acts chapter 14, we have an example of his persecution there. Acts chapter 14 verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch. See, there they are again. (laughs) The Jews who were practicing legalistic Judaism for self-righteous justification in the sight of God and acceptance. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I will use a West Virginia term now. Do you reckon that he had some marks on his body from that? They threw stones at this man. He collapses. They drag him out of the city because they thought he was dead. 2 Corinthians, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, down to verse 11. Listen to how he talks about the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 11. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Listen to these words carefully. Always carrying in our body the death of Jesus. Sound familiar? I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Always carrying in my body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also might be manifested in our mortal flesh. The more given over to death in this life and comfort and ease and self-preservation you are, the more the life of Jesus Christ is manifested through your life. I hope you hear that. The more given over you are to death in this life and in this world, the philosophies of the world and the empty and endless pursuits of pleasure and prestige and money and and things of that sort, the more dead you are to that system, this present evil age, the more the life of Jesus Christ is manifested through your life. Beloved, we should be people that are not at home 
in this world. Not at home. Not at home. Colossians 1, 24 to 26. Colossians chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I love this text. So beautiful. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Have you heard anybody say that this past week? (laughs) I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, there's that word again in the Greek, the body, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. He knew and rejoiced in the reality that he was suffering so that other people would know the truth. We are the body of Christ, right? The church. How is Christ suffering today? Through his church. When they persecute you as a Christian, they are really persecuting Christ. You remember when Jesus revealed himself to the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul? Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. You remember what he said to him? Saul, Saul, why are you what? Persecuting me. Me, he said. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you are persecuted as a Christian, it's really Christ. They are persecuting. So much so that Paul says there in that text that when he suffers, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Second Corinthians chapter 11 is, is just such a, a powerful text of what I think Paul means when he says, For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Second Corinthians eleven twenty two. To 29. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. Are they Hebrews? So am I. <laughs> Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. He puts his own parenthesis there. I'm talking like a madman. What they were doing is the same kind of thing. They were entertaining these false apostles. And it was driving him to such anxiety and despair and trouble of heart when he writes to the Corinthian church... He's saying, you want to put up with these people who want to make a good showing in their outward appearance and in the flesh. He, and he, and he, he says, you want to compare apples to apples here? And then he says, listen to what he says in this list. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. How many is that? One hundred and ninety-five. Now the reason that they wouldn't do that is it was not lawful for the Jewish people to punish you by giving you more than forty. So later on in their history and the, of, of the apostle here, they would make sure that they didn't go over because sometimes you might get excited. You know, these guys were giving you the lashes, and they wanted to make sure that there was only the lawful amount, so they reduced it by one to make sure. Do you think he had some marks from that? They would do that by directing those lashes, 39 of them, five times, 195 he received from the Jews. 
They would lash you across the back. They would hit across the shoulders and across your front so that they would distribute all of those lashes. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, which we talked about there from the book of Acts at Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And here's that verse we read earlier. And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul is essentially saying, beloved, you want to talk about a show in the flesh? Circumcision? You're impressed with visible achievements. Look, I have the brand marks of Jesus Christ. He says, look, I have the brand marks of one who has been delivered from this present evil age. I have the brand marks of one who is delivered from this world system and set free as a liberated child of God. I have the marks of one who has been set free from the vain philosophies of this world. He says, I have the brand marks of one who is not at home in this world. And it shows. You can look at my body and see this is not my home. He says, I have the brand marks of one who is called and devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. My one boast. The Lord Jesus Christ. I am his And he is mine, and my one goal is that I would live and make much of him. Trouble of false doctrine and the brand marks of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for your love and grace and goodness. We thank you today for the truth of the gospel that's objective for every person of every generation, every nation, language, tongue, and people. And we pray that we would be faithful in our time and with our lives to make much of you, Lord Jesus. That we would live with that one abiding boast, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified as our substitute, by which the world has been put to death to us and us to the world. And we have been made new creations in him. And we pray, O oh God, that if there's one here today that needs to turn from sin and turn from self-effort and trust in the finished work of the cross, that you would call them and draw them with your cords of love, that you would call them that they would believe before it's eternally too late. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And amen.